I, I think about that in regards to a lot of within Christianity. Uh, I, you know, I teach at King University and, and I have students write papers and, and they'll say things like, you know, if people were more like Jesus, then the world would be a happier place. And I'm like, well, you have to unpack that for me a little bit because, you know, Jesus became angry and turned over tables. He uh, pushed back on the status quo. He made people angry and it was deliberate. This, 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 this Let's be honest, talking about our faith, it can get hard sometimes. Sometimes we get caught up in the world, but now the world will have to get caught up in us. We're here to talk about it. We're here to talk about our real faith. We're here to talk about the real God. For unapologetic apologetics everywhere, welcome to Tactical Faith Radio. Welcome to Tactical Faith. Thank you for coming along. This, again, is Tactical Faith Musings, the time where I bring people together to talk about a particular subject that I think matters in the uh, community that we're living in as Christians. And what an interesting time that we're living today in this COVID pandemic. And it's really kind of uh, kind of un- unveiled a lot of different kind of you know uh, conflicts and in emotions and has brought about a lot of different questions that people have been asking me from leadership positions to lay people. And the one we're going to tackle today is a really specific one. The question is, what do we do with anger? Uh, There's a lot of Christians out there right now that are dealing with uh, anger issues or dealing with emotional issues. Uh, Just last week in Alabama, we were, we were pretty, we're pretty angry and temperamental over the fact that we had been locked down for a couple of weeks and we didn't feel like that our government was allowing us an opportunity to get out and, and uh, I guess use our freedoms to do the things we were used to. So I decided to bring along guys like, like I do to talk about this issue. And I have Dr. Mark Hutton uh, here today. He's done a couple of podcasts with me um, before. He's from Bristol, Tennessee, went to seminary with me almost 20 years ago. Uh, he's Presbyterian minister. Uh, he actually works uh, as a, what was it, Mark? It's not a city council. What is county it? Commissioner. It's what? County. A county commissioner. So he went from an ordained pastor, and he still is, to actually, I remember the day he called me, and he says, I'm going to run for county commissioner. And I thought, he's the only person that I know personally that's ever run for anything. He's a fantastic kind of very talented person. He also teaches creative. He's taught creative writing and English. Uh, he's actually got awards for poetry. Uh, he's kind of the Jefferson of Bristol, Tennessee. You know, I mean, uh, you know, that, that's what I, of course, Jefferson had better hair than he does, uh, but he's, he's a very talented person. I had Travis, Dr. Travis Koblitz, who's, of course, you all know that at Listen is part of the uh, Tactical Faith kind of family. Uh, he has his own podcast out there. He is, he brings a whole bunch of interesting things to bear. And I have my, the special guest, my father, Bobby Burford. Uh, my dad has decided to come on and represent the boomer generation and give his opinions about these things. But so we're going to move straight to the question. Mark, this is for you. Is it ever morally acceptable for Christians to be angry and to act out on that anger? I think it is. Uh, you know, Matt, you know, I've talked about this, but, you know, part of that comes from um, when I look at 1 Samuel 11, it's a really interesting text. It's basically it's where Saul is uh, coming into his own. Um, and there's 
basically what's happening in First Samuel 11 is that there's a group of people, the Ammonites, who are uh, you know, basically besieging Jabesh Gilead. Uh, and they, you know, the people of Jabesh try to negotiate with the Ammonites, but the Ammonites say, there's, there's no way we're going we're gonna to negotiate. And so uh, the word finally reaches Saul and others. And when it does, Saul asks the question, why are all these people weeping? And when he hears what's going on, it says, And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. And right after that, we're told that Saul actually organized, uh, he actually uh, slaughtered some oxen and sent them out to all the people, um, all the tribes, and they came in, and they, they came in as one man, it said, and the, and the dread of the Lord was on them. And, and Saul actually... Uh, went up against the Ammonites and defeated them, and it began begins the story of Saul. And I think so. I think that um, you know we hear about righteous indignation, but and that was part of it. But but these were God's people that were under assault, uh, and so but th- this idea that the that the spirit of the Lord actually prompted this anger and this and something happened. I, I think about that in regards to a, a lot of within Christianity. Uh, I, you know, I teach at King University and, and I have students write papers and, and they'll say things like, you know, if people were more like Jesus, then the world would be a happier place. And I'm like, well, you have to unpack that for me a little bit because, you know, Jesus became angry and turned over tables. He uh, pushed back on the status quo. He made people angry and it was deliberate the way that he did some things. And even his disciples, when you read through the book of Acts, they, they, when the gospel went into a community, it caused social upheaval. Um, they, they made people angry. There were times when they became angry. Uh, you know, Paul became uh, frustrated and angry, they're, they're, and they acted on that at times. So I, I think that there's enough, uh, there's n- enough biblical evidence to suggest that, that, it's a, that it's right in times for Christians to not only be angry, but to act on that anger, not to, do, be, to be sinful, but, but to engage, I mean, I think about through the ages, I think about the civil rights movement. I think about the number of Christians. Well, when the civil rights movement was anchored to the church, you know, that they were angry about the injustice that was perpetrated on their people. And so they organized and, and they acted. And how could you not be angry about uh, an injustice? And I think about that in regards to this whole concept of, not um, engaging in conflict. There's that message that, that, that you know, anger and conflict, those things kind of go hand in hand at times. Um, you know, I, I know in a lot of Christian pastors and, and people in ministry don't feel like that, you know, that they should ever do anything to upset anyone <clears throat> and maybe even pretend that they're not upset. But, you know, I, I don't, I think in some respects that, that that might disqualify you for actually being in ministry. I mean, if, if you're not willing to upset someone, then how on earth can you actually present the gospel? Um, because the gospel itself is so, it's so countercultural when you're actually talking to someone about what it means to follow Jesus and, um, and what it means to lay down your life and what it means to come to terms with the fact that we're sinners. If you're conflict avoidant, uh, if you don't engage in that sort of thing, then, I mean, all those things sort of kind of m- m- merge together. I mean, I look at this passage in First Samuel, and I think if Saul was the least bit conflict avoidant, I mean, it's good that the Spirit of God came upon him, because if he was conflict avoidant at all, which he might have been, 
then, you know, he might not have done what God wanted him to do here. Um, I mean, that's, that's just kind of my, my two cents as I sort of wrestle with what it means to, to step into the messy places of the world as a follower of Jesus and, um, and, and engage with, with what's going on around us. So I'm going to throw this to my father. Hey, Dad, I know growing up, you would tell me like stories of kind of you growing up with, you had a pretty big family, uh, pretty close-knit family. You had a brother that was close to you in age. Uh, you were, of course, the older brother. He was the second brother. Uh, but there were all these kind of stories of you growing up and um, like physical, you know, altercations of, you know, fighting and being a, being a man and all that were kind of, were kind of stories that I remember you telling me. Like I used to think that's kind of part of growing up is you kind of, you, there's conflict and especially as being a man, you, you're, you're not necessarily fighting all the time, but there's, there is a sense of conflict and learning how to deal with your anger as something that you just have to navigate as you grow up as a man. Has there been a difference in a change in, you know, 60 years ago, as opposed to today that you're seeing like men dealing with conflict and anger? Well, I think one of the big things that, that I remember was that we had a schoolyard fights, you know, you had to establish that you would defend yourself and uh, those sort of things. But I think it's become more violent. I mean, we, just about everybody would have a fight at one time or the other, particularly if you, if you don't come to some kind of ball field or uh, that sort of thing where you're just, you know, you're young and you're not, and you're, uh, you're pro more prone. You're, you're not seasoned yet and you don't really know how to uh, handle conflict. And I think that's something that would, I, I'm just disturbed that it seems to be more violent now. You know, my sister, my sister uh, was a assistant principal at a high school around here where I live, and uh, the the fight the fights between the girls they seem to be undirected anger, not the not like on Andy Griffith's show where where Opie was being bullied for a guy who was taking was taking his nickel away for the milk every day. Now this was much more intense, and I have talked to a friend of mine who was a after he retired from the sheriff's office, he took a job in a high school. I didn't realize they had people walking around like that, but it was necessary. And I see, you know, there's no, there's not as much civility in me. You know, I think it's, I think it's fine to be angry. I think that's part of the human condition. I think getting upset about situations, but you know, there's so much, there's so much rancor now between people that that's, that disturbs. I know that you have to have in your life a counterbalance that tells you, okay, this is something that's making me upset, but that doesn't warrant me giving the full treatment to somebody, you know, being becoming violent or, 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 or saying things that I regret later. But I just, I think there's a difference. I think it's, I think it's, I feel it anyway in our society now. It's different than when I was growing up. So what that's, about you? What about you, Travis? I mean, that's interesting what my dad says, which is there might have been an expectation of fighting back then, but now there's more violence. Um, do you, is that something that, I mean, what, what, how do you, what do you respond to something like that? I wonder if, like, I'm trying to put these, these two things together that uh, uh, Mark and Bobby have both talked about, um, like the idea of conflict avoidance seems to be driven not by 
let me invoke Nietzsche here if you if you'll allow me for a minute. He talks a lot about how um, how people who are, for lack of a better word, weak, and he doesn't necessarily mean physically weak. He just means they're fearful of conflict, right? That's that's their primary thing is they don't want to deal with conflict. They're they're still angry. Like it's not a matter. It's it's not a question of whether you can be angry, whether you're allowed to be angry or not. Everyone gets angry. The question is how does it how does it manifest? And those, he says, there's two ways that that anger manifests. The first way is sort of the barbaric way, right? So a couple of guys go out, they get in a fight on the schoolyard, then afterwards they go hang out together, right? You know, I mean, and that's kind of how that stuff sort of worked out. It's almost like the anger just had this explosion, and then it's like it's spent. But there's those who, uh, what Nietzsche describes is just they're sort of they're fearful of conflict or they're fearful of conflict. So they just avoid conflict at all costs. And then the, then the anger just starts poisoning them. And he uses the French word resentment, which is resentment. And he talks about how it poisons them, but nevertheless, they define their lack of activity, their lack of doing anything. They define it as virtue. So we're patient because we don't, you know, we're forgiving, which means we hate you, but we don't do anything about it. You know, we're, we're compassionate, which means, uh, we just care. We don't care about, we just care for people who are hurt, right? We don't care about the other people. Um, maybe we shouldn't, but there's, and it, it seems like the primary thing uh, for, this is sort of changing the subject. Maybe I can, uh, maybe I can just mention this because uh, one of the things that you said, Bobby, that was really interesting was that the fights were driven by an undirected anger. They were kind of driven by undirected anger. Whereas it seems like anger largely arises as a response to injustice, right? Somebody takes, somebody's trying to take your money or, you know, whatever. Um, and you respond to that. And uh, I think it's, I think this is drawing from Aquinas, but it's basically saying something like this, that anger becomes wrath, the sin of wrath, when it's at the wrong person, by the wrong person, in the wrong proportion, in the wrong manner, with the wrong end, without reason, there's the undirected for the sake of vengeance rather than justice or restitution or with the absence of love. So there's a whole list of qualifications. If you want to get your anger right, you got to meet all these qualifications. These would be the right person to the right proportion, the right amount, all this kind of stuff. And it seems like, it seems like today we're just angry. Like it seems like everyone is looking for a reason to be angry. Does that, does that make sense? And I feel like there's just, I'm waiting for someone to cross me so that I can, so I can get enraged about it. That's what I feel like is sort of because, because we don't seem to have the morality or purpose that directs our anger correctly, right? When we see an actual injustice, we get angry and we get sort of excited about it. That sounds a little terrible, but we get happy to see an injustice because now I know I can be angry the right way. Hmm. Um, but I think we're, we're, I think we're hungry for injustice because we're hungry to have a perp we're hungry to have a good reason to be angry. So, I mean, that's really cynical sounding, but that's just kind of how I am. So what do you think about that, Mark? I think that's, I think that's right. Um, it sounds right. I mean, Aquinas, it's hard to argue against Aquinas. Um, I, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about my own experience within just, I mean, my thing sort of sits up within the church itself, because I often think that that you know I've been a I've been a pastor now for I've been a ministry now for almost well, I don't know since I was twenty three and I'm fifty, 
so a while and um you know i i've just i've seen that the 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 knee jerk reaction of the christian community church community in particular is that you can't be angry um and you you know and you, it's just sort of pieces in the call sort of status quo and what it's done over the over the years is it's made us inconsequential um in many respects like it, we don't we don't matter in the in the community because because the community is looking for people looking for something that speaks up stands up um and sort of shows what what is it right so often because i think i think because there's this lack of understanding about it it's okay not only to be angry but to act as you you know travis as you're saying that sort of these criteria that you're not just moving towards wrath or just you're not just mad because you're just looking for an opportunity because you're looking for injustice um and you want a reason to be angry but there are lots of reasons to be uh, upset and engaged and actually active and doing something um all, all across the board and um and that's actually part of what it means to sort of live out what it means to be a follower of Christ. And, um, and that's been, I mean, that, that right there has gotten me in more trouble <laughs> because I refuse to sort of uh, sit back and go, yeah, it's, it's okay that you were just a complete jackass to that person. Um, I'm just, I'm going to capitulate. Um, and I, but I, what I see is that you, you've got a lot of people within that are ordained within various churches in particular mainline denominations, which I am in the main, I am in the mainline PCUSA, uh, as a conservative. And I see often like, man, you're just capitulating rather than sort of saying, no, that's probably not right. It, it, you're capitulating rather than being stepping into the conflict because we've been conditioned within the Christian community to say, no, 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 no. Conflict is bad. Anger is bad. We shouldn't do those things. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of my sort of take on it. Like, um, so I, I don't disagree with you at all. I, I just think about it in regards to what it means to be, what, what's it going to, what's it going to look like right, especially right now when so many people are up in arms about, you know, well, they're taking our rights away as a Christian community. We can't, we can't worship. Well, sure we can. Um, I mean, how do we, how, what's the right response and, um, and that sort of thing. So that, that's my, I'm rambling now, but. No. So while we were talking, uh, Shannon came on, of course, Shannon's our creative director and brings a lot of stuff to the table. Shannon, I uh, mean, you talk a lot. Uh, we text more than we talk. Uh, but you, you always, uh, you, you have your finger on the pulse of the culture. Uh, Travis said something, I don't know if you heard about, he just feels like, and my dad made a, a, a point to it as well, that our culture seems very violent, uh, <laughs> very angry. Is that something that you pick up on as well? Um, yes. Uh, I think that there is the, can you guys hear me? Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm just coming on. So I want to make sure that's okay. Okay. Uh, there is, there is this idea that we want to kind of say what we want to say and drop the mic and then move on. Everybody unilaterally takes what we say as gospel. Right. And I think that, 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 that these things are so much more, um, 
complicated than that, obviously. I mean, this is the conversation that we're having. You know, I, I was coming into this conversation, I'm thinking about David, right? And I don't know if you guys have touched on David or not, but, uh, you know, David was a man after God's own heart. David loved passionately. David loved many women. There were problems with, with many of the things that David did. Um, but at the end of the day, David was a, a man after God's own heart. And so within that, within that rubric, as Christians, are are we are we willing and able to stand against a cultural flow i mean like so there there's some there's some complicated things here right so david david was submissive to the will of god when it came to saul right david did not act against saul who was the authority over his own life Right, but yet David did honor God in that situation. Right, so within within Christianity, I, I've been uh, with, within the 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 way that I've been thinking about it recently. You know, it's like what are what are beautiful things, right? And our beautiful thing, like Jesus, is the most beautiful thing that we can see. Jesus is the most beautiful personification of what is God and what is man, right? Just to be really simple about it, I guess. And yet Jesus, Jesus got angry whenever, whenever there were Pharisees and when, when Pharisees were pushing against the wrong thing, Whenever there were people in the marketplace selling God's, um, selling God's truth as if it was a commodity, right? Jesus overturned tables. So there's there's this there's this this thing inside of my mind that I'm trying to like, the beauty of God over and against His anger. You know, this. It's a, I, I feel like it's a, queer, a, a fair question, um, and uh, how, how do how do we deal with that? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sure that's what you guys have been talking about. That's I'm I'm late on this conversation. I apologize about that. Um, but essentially, I, obviously, an an obvious part of this whole equation is that anger is obviously a part of God's equation. If we're going to take it like right back to God, the, the theology of God, right? God is angry at many points in time with the people that he loves, right? I, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there. No, I think that's good. So the part of the equation, I mean, I'm looking at James 1.19. Know this, my, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It doesn't, it doesn't say don't anger, don't be angry. It just says be slow to anger. In other words, it's, it's not the thing that you go quickly towards, right? So there has to be a time and a place, like you said, Shannon, there has to be, it has to be a part, anger has to be a part of the equation. So that, uh, you know, 
I grew up in your household. I, I know that you've been at the same church for over 30 years or 25, 30 years, something like that. You've seen it all as a deacon. Um, you know, I'm sure you've, you've been through moments of, of contention and, you know, right at the point with other men of, of anger. I mean, what is that like to be in that tension? And, and how do you know when to say something like Shannon says and sit like David or where you have to stand up and, and say, listen, I, I'm angry about this and I have to say something? Well, I think, I think the key here to being angry uh, is what, what's making you angry. Are you angry because someone has said something about you? Are you angry because someone has done a particular thing? That's the kind of anger that I think is very, if you're not, first of all, if you're not angry sometimes, you're missing an emotional com component of what it is to be a human being. And that sounds like something that you might want to have in uh, counseling about, because that's part of, that's part of us. But I've been involved in situations uh, where men in the room would get very angry about things. I, you know, I, I, they would tell things that just weren't so because they were angry. But if, if you're angry about your, something someone has done to you, that's the kind of thing you've got to give to God right away, I think, in my opinion. Because, but if, it's, if you're angry because you see an injustice being done and to, to others or to an institution, or you see some, you're angry because somebody is, seems to be making a decision, it'll be a very bad decision for them or for other people. And helping people at church, you know, that some of the things that people get angry about are very trivial. But I, that, that's kind of how I feel about anger. Is it, are you angry because something is happening to you? Or are you angry because of an injustice? And not get angry when you say a terrible injustice. Well, that's, that's not Christian. Christians are supposed to be advocates for people who are, who are being attacked for some reason. Or we're... If you see something going on in your church, and that's a very difficult thing. When you get angry at church, you can cause a lot of damage if you're in a place. And, and you guys, any one of us can see a place we could cause a lot of damage. So give that, give that anger to God first and be sure it's not because of something that's happening to you, but it's because of an injustice that a Christian should stand, should stand against. <laughs> yeah, Matt, you're muted. <laughs> I'll take that part out. So let's <laughs> let's go back to First Samuel 11 then, uh, where it says Saul heard the words, uh, and there, there's a big complex story behind this. But like Mark said, Saul heard their words of, of 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 his people, and then the spirit of God came upon him in power, and he burned with anger. What do we do with that theologically, Travis? And then we'll move to, to Mark again with this. Is there a time and place where we find ourselves seeing an injustice and burning with, with well, let's just term it righteous anger, right? So what do we do with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the idea that anger can be righteous, um, I mean, I think Mark is exactly right, that that's, that our, our, our feeling that anger can't be righteous is, I mean, it's, I don't think it's biblical at all. It seems obviously, it seems like it sh it, we should reject that. But what, what we're concerned about is, is how is anger used rightly? And why is it that 
and, and how does anger become corrupt within us, right? So to take, for, for God to be angry, when it describes God as angry, well, I'm guessing that uh, God is uh, directing vengeance at the right person. He is the right person to be angry. He's doing it in the right proportion, in the right manner, for the right end, with good reason, <laughs> and, and for the sake of justice and restitution, and with love, right? So God, all, of, all of God's anger is directed that way. The issue is we, we lack control when it starts to take hold of us. And so um, we, we tend, and I, I've, I've noticed this. In fact, I, I had an interaction uh, uh, over Christmas break with my family, and something had happened and caused one of the people in my family to become angry. And you'll notice that your anger becomes, when you're angry, ang anger is almost indiscriminate, Right. If, I, if you bump your head on the cabinets, why are you angry? Well, you're angry because you're an idiot for bumping your head on the cabinet. But then you punch the cabinet, and you say something nasty to your wife, and you kick your kid as they're walking by, right? Because anger just wants to hurt. Like our anger does. And there's a point where, where there's something almost admirable about a couple of guys going out and throwing some fists around, and then the anger's spent and gone, Right. Um, but there, there are times, so, so the danger I think, is something like this indiscriminate nature of anger. Um, but what I think is, I think, to, I think Mark's exactly right. And I think Bobby's right. That there are times when you, when you, if you see, if you see an injustice and you're not angered by it, there's a, that's, you lack, you lack an emotion. Our emotions are signs that there's something there. Right? Our emotions are actually hold an epistemological value. They're a declaration that there's something going wrong. It's just that anger tends to become indiscriminate. And, and we begin to wallow in our anger. Like that's, that's sort of the issue. But, but it's, it's both sides, right? Because if you, don't, if you never deal with your anger, it sort of bubbles. It kind of poisons you inside. And you become a, kind of a passive, aggressive, resentful person. Um, so there's a danger here. I mean, we don't want to beat up people you know, in bathrooms or anything. Uh, but we, we want to, uh, we want to be able to, to have anger the right way. I mean, that's, that's, I feel like I'm giving a Sunday school answer. <laughs> be angry the right way. Well, obviously. Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, there, there is, I mean, obviously, I mean, there's a little bit of a Sunday school answer there because we do want to be angry in the right way. I mean, Anger is all throughout the the Old Testament that that we should be angry and sin not. I I I wonder sometimes you know I think about go, going back to the theology of God, right? And we as Christians we we don't think about we don't think about God as being um, kind of a pantheistic infinity right we think about god as being a personal infinity and so if god is a personal infinity then then it 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 brings a different dynamic theologically into this whole situation because god is personal and <clears throat> the way that god relates to us in a personal way in an in in a way that is in, is is perfect 
a perfect being theology. I'm, I'm probably stepping outside of my own zone here a little bit because I'm not a theologian. But this idea that, that God can be perfectly angry and be perfectly personal with the individual that he is angry with, which is different than a pantheistic kind of attitude towards God. It, it brings a different dynamic into who God is and brings a different dynamic into how we respond to anger. It, 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 makes, it makes our, our theology, the way that we think about God, concrete in our own personal and uh, subjective kind of musings, I guess you could say. And with, with that, I, I think that, that we, we can strive, we, we can strive to be angry, not necessarily strive to be angry. We can strive to love, but allow the anger to come forth when the appropriate situation is there. Is that right? Is that wrong? I don't know. Well, then, then why do men deal? Why are men expected to deal with angry differently than women? And any of y'all can come in here, like I, mean, I, I picking out from where Travis was talking though, is this idea that you know, to some degree, a man who does not stand when when injustice goes by, or injustice goes and does nothing with it, seems somebody who's who's weak, right? And and now more than ever, it seems like we have a church that's looking for somebody of massive will that goes after something with with you know with great almost like great wrath revealed right and and to some degree that's what president trump represents to a lot of people is somebody who's who's going after what what they would perceive as an injustice so this is the thing that's frustrating to me a little bit with a lot of the pastors that i see and i can be wrong about this because i've never held the 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 the, the position of a of being a pastor over a large flock, right? I think this is what Mr. Hutton was talking about earlier. This idea that um, that we can be wishy-washy about things, um, and and we we can want to please the crowd. I think that that there's this. Uh, this innate desire within a lot of pastors to please as many people as possible. But at some time, at some point in time, you have to be willing to kick against the goad, right? You have to, you have to be able to kick against it. Right. And with that, I mean, I would like to yield it back to somebody who's been a pastor. I mean, Tim, if, if, if I'm wrong about that, let me know. I mean, I, it just seems like that is one thing that's a little frustrating to me as as a layman with a lot of what's going on right now, personally. I can tell you that in the, in the research I did years ago and continued to, you know, conversations with a lot with pastors, you know, most of them will tell you that uh, they're conflict avoidant, which means that, that 
for some of them, they, you know, like we'll hang out a cup of coffee or, you know, just over, over the last few years, they're frustrated and angry as all get out. Um, but they won't speak up. They'll, they avoid that. They internalize it and, and they let, they'll let something fester and go on until it's too late because they've, for some reason have been told and been taught that they, that they don't have the right to speak up or there's that, but there's also that there's the fear because their livelihood is attached to the people. And if they make the wrong person mad, man, it can really, boy, I mean, it can create some major issues for them. Um, you know, financially, they can lose their job or that person can leave. There's all those kinds of dynamics, but you're right. But see, from my perspective, Matt and I talked about this the other day. I I think that actually disqualifies them for ministry. I I think that if, that if when a pastor does uh, their, you know, personality thing, if one of the things is that they're conflict avoidant, I'm sorry, you, you, you shouldn't be in ministry at all. Because part of what it means to be a pastor is to confront people. He has to do so lovingly, but also to be angry because as, as, as pastors, we know what sin can do within the life of a person or within the flock. We should be angry about sin, sin in our own lives or sin in the people that God has called us to shepherd. Um, and to be able to speak up and to, and to say to you know, people in the church, the way you're treating other people isn't, isn't right. But even beyond that, I was, like Matt and I talked to today, <clears throat> you know, part of my, my, part of my doctoral work was I, I looked at the civil rights movement. And, um, you know, uh, when MLK wrote letters from the Birmingham jail, he was writing to pastors, uh, white pastors in particular, who ridiculed him and told him he shouldn't be doing what he was doing. Uh, I mean, he, he was like, you should be angry that this is actually going on in your own community, but you're complicit to it with it. I don't know how many pastors I've, I've had conversations with over the years who, who are complaining, will, be, will complain about a particular person within their congregation that's creating, causing havoc. And I'm like, well, why don't you confront them? Oh, I can never do that because I had one pastor tell me one time, well, I could never do that because she's a heavy hitter, meaning she gives a lot of money to the church. I don't want to upset her. Yeah, well, I, I understand that. Um, I'm, I'm going to jump back in here. So it's, it's, it's a little bit of the same situation that we have being a part of an apologetic, uh, an apologetic ministry, right, where we, we want to be careful in the way that we train up people and the way that we give people advice pretty much. I mean, that's, that's what we're doing. We're not necessarily ministerial, but we are trying to give people the best advice. And we understand that the, uh, that there is this kind of paradigm within the apologetic community where, where everybody wants to kind of, drop the mic. Everybody wants to say, you know, well, you're wrong, buddy. And this is why you're wrong. And just leave it right there. Whereas our conversations should be more, um, maybe this is the right word, a little more 
per, they, our conversations should be more persuasive so that we put the onus on the people who are actually dealing with the conflict and we allow them to make their own decisions, right? As apologists, that is the thing that we should strive, that, that's the thing that I feel like we should strive for. We should be able to craft an argument that allows people to make their own decisions. And it seems to me, so I, I know I came down hard a little bit on, on pastors personally, but it does, I, I can see the conflict, right? As a pastor, you're trying to get that person to come to their own realization because a lot of times if somebody if somebody's convinced superficially of a particular position they can come back and blame you on that if they feel like they have been wronged in that position right and so there's a lot of this kind of psychological makeup that's that's involved in the process of of trying to convince somebody of what is right what is wrong what is truth, what is not truth, what is the right thing to do in a particular situation. As a pastor, I would think that that's the, 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 the preeminent thing here is to try to give somebody the tools to work through that properly in and of, them own, in and of their own selves. The problem is, though, people don't do that, obviously. People, people will go a selfish way and they will they will just kind of bombard themselves into a hole and then they come back to you two months two weeks two days later and they're like this is this is horrible what i've done and then you're like well i didn't want to say i told you so but i kind of told you so but that's not the thing that we want to do right so i i understand there's a lot of give and take here so dad, let me, let me bring you in here. Uh, the, the nature of your work was not necessarily, you know, uh, uh, churchy academic, you know, that, that's not what you did as a CRNA. You dealt with life and death. I mean, you have this person on the table, you're intubated, you know, and you're keeping this person alive. You've had stories before where you've come home and told me where you've disagreed vehemently and almost near violently with the people that you're working around. Uh, that was in that, but that conflict was almost expected when you have this certain kind of heightened kind of atmosphere that you're in when, when really the, the buck stops with you. Right. Um, and, but it was almost like I would hear not a lot of these stories, but there, there tended to be more of those stories than, than not of you dealing with conflict when the, when it really was down to whether somebody was breathing or not. Uh, how did you, how did you prepare and create a habit of some sort of character to deal with that type of conflict? When you, I mean, especially when you're dealing with other people that are authorities and over you, but you still have to somehow make them understand that you kind of control the situation that you're responsible for. Well, you know, I don't want to make this dramatic or anything, but because most cases that I that that we did was pretty routine. You know, the, the surgeon brought the patient. It was his patient. So uh, he had 
you know, he would say, this is what I want to do and, and that sort of thing. But as a CRNA, I was responsible for that person's life. Minute to minute, minute to minute. And if I saw something that was occurring, either what a surgeon was doing or what a, what a nurse was doing or anyone that would be in that suite, I, I couldn't hesitate. I couldn't hesitate. I, I had a case one time, and I know you heard this, and probably has nothing to do with it, but, uh, you know, I, I, I came back from a break. Uh, another CRA in there I took over. I realized the patient had lost a lot of blood. And I told the surgeon, I said, I think we need some blood. And he became very angry at me. He was angry because he felt as if I was questioning his clinical skills. But then I became angry because I realized I had the, this patient needed blood. As it turned out that time, I was absolutely right, except he needed more blood than I had sent for. And that's difficult because obviously the surgeon, the they're kings of the OR. And, uh, and you don't really want to develop a, a, a reputation to see that someone was very, very angry. So is, is that what you're asking me? Yeah. You know, because that sort I, of thing. And, you know, I have not always been right. It surprises me, but I'm not always right. And, but, you know, by the time I got later in the years, I'd seen everything and I had something to give. And, but I think if you want to watch pure anger, if you want to see pure anger, just do something to a child that their mother finds out. <laughs> now that's angry of a different magnitude. And I don't think that's in any way should be unexpected because that's something that God put in women about their children. And God put in women about their children that just, it's part of being a mother. You don't ever want to get between a mother and a child. That's a very difficult thing. So I, I don't want to make it about any specific thing, but, you know, as far as abortion is concerned, and I understand the need sometimes for it. I understand that I was, I was there. I saw things. Uh, I understand situations that they, but to see mothers so cavalier and other people, not just women, but other people so cavalier about this thing, I think that's the great sin that we have in this nation, and you can't even talk about it. You can't even talk about it. And I get frustrated with that. Uh, but did I ask you a question? I forget what the question was. I'm sorry. No, I, I think that's good. And I guess where I'm leading to that is I think actually just like love is a passion, anger is a passion, but both in anger and in love, you're laying yourself almost bare. Like we, we spend most of our time dealing with people in relationships with a filter up, right? Um, that's just how we are. Uh, but when you're, t I'm thinking in the life when I get really, when I've gotten really angry, right. Or, you know, I've, I'm showcasing a part of myself with no filter and whoever's the object of that anger is seeing me when I was doing it right or doing it wrong, seeing Matt in, the, in, in his totality, right. In, in all his warts and all when I got angry. So <laughs> I guess what I want to shift to and what I make a point of is, is understanding that you getting angry in a, in a, in a surgery room where, where we would say things are on the line is, is really the same kind of, don't you think Mark come the same kind of thing we're asking pastors to do the same kind of importance that anger and conflict 
when done right, can lay people bare and expose them and expose their sins. But we can't have that without conflict and anger if we're going to move towards restoration, if we're going to move towards spiritual formation, if we're going to move towards shalom, we need to have the same kind of importance in the church, which we don't have. Because right. you know, everybody wants to keep quote-unquote unity, right? But if we're quote-unquote finding unity all the time, really what, we're, what I think we're saying to the world is we're not interested in change in our church because we're not putting, we're not putting, con, we're not putting these things as important as two, two people like in a surgeon's room dealing with somebody's life. This is just churchy stuff. So let's just all get along. Does that make sense? Does to me. I mean, I, you know, I know the guys from um, John F. Kennedy School for Government, uh, Ron Heifetz and Martin Linsky, they would say that there, there's no there's no significant change without conflict in any system. It doesn't matter if it's a church or a hospital or government or anything else. And if you're not willing to stir things up a little bit or turn up the heat in a system or engage in, in you know, creative, even create, uh, orchestrate conflict. There's not going to be any change. You, you, you're going to do the same sort of things. I mean, and, and you know, like, and all, I think everybody in church has experienced this where you've got, you've got the folks that sort of throw their weight around and it irks other people, but they don't say anything. Hmm. They just sort of sit back. I mean, um, and, and some work that I've done doing consulting with churches and nonprofits I hear that it's kind of this recurring thing. I mean, I, I know of one church in particular where there was a, a lady that she felt like that the, that the pews in the church that were, you know, that were basically installed in the 1930s <clears throat> needed a new coat of shellac. So she shellacked them and they looked terrible and no one said anything to her. They were all ticked, including the pastor, but none, no one said anything. They hated it. I'm like, well, why didn't you say something? Oh, we didn't want to upset her. I'm like, but you're upset. So you just ate it. Like, this is, but, but that's, that's on this really small thing, but it speaks into every other aspect of, of the Christian life. Like, you know, people will be ticked. They'll be upset about some injustice that's going on in the world, but they won't do a dadgum thing about it. They won't get engaged or involved. Um, outside of just sitting in their own kitchen and, and complaining to their spouse about what's going on in the world, you know, like, you know, whatever it is, if it's political, you know, like um, in the community I live in, in Bristol, I, um, I, you know, I moved here about five years ago. I grew up here, but moved back after living in other places for a while. And I started writing uh, op-ed pieces for, on the, for the Sunday paper. They, they weren't, they weren't Christian um, editorials, but I'm writing as a Christian and I'm writing about things in the community. And one of the things I wrote about was that and the way it works in Tennessee is that the county, the county gets money and distributes between the county schools and the city schools. Well, the county, for some reason, the county commissioners decided that they're going to take several million dollars away from the school system in order, in order to settle a lawsuit with, with the jail, with the sheriff's department. It's weird. And I'm like, it's never a good time to take money away from a school system. So I wrote about it um, and talked about it. And then finally, um, somebody said, well, why don't you do something about it? And so, well, I thought, 
what, is, what does that mean? Why don't you run for office? And I was like, yeah, why don't I run for office? So I prayed about it, talked to my wife about it, talked to Matt about it. Matt said, wait, no. The worst thing that could happen is that you could get elected. He was right. And so, uh, and so, you know, I mean, th that's the, that's the thing. It's like, well, you've been writing about Shalom for years. What does it mean to, to be Shalom? It means that I work for, pray for, do everything I can to, 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 to do this whole thing about human flourishing. That's what, that's what the mission of Shalom is. And so, but the only way to do that is that I'm, I'm upset because God has placed this idea about what it means to live with biblical justice in the world. And so I can either sit back and not do a dadgum thing about it and just gripe and complain about it. Or what we, what Christians have, throughout the ages have done is like, I can do something about it. I mean, think about throughout the ages when, you know, they, people would see Christian community would see injustice in the world. They built hospitals to take care of the poor. They built schools to educate the ignorant, you know, all in the name of Christ. Well, what do Christians do anymore? Uh, you know, we carry placards around abortion clinics, but we, do we encourage people to adopt babies? Not enough. So like, like there's this sense of being, I'm angry and I'm going to do something about it. I, and I think that's the, that's the biblical idea of anger and justice. They, they merge together. I'm, you know, God has placed this, like I look about this in, in first Samuel, something happened. I'm God has placed this anger within my heart and now I'm organized and I'm doing something about it. And I think that's the, that's the real rub because we spend so much freaking time like looking internal into the church and then we get caught up into these really ridiculously stupid arguments. And then, then we don't do anything at all. But I mean, I mean, I, I'm just like, oh, I don't, who cares? You know, I, I got kids down the street who can't read and don't have enough to eat. And you want to talk to me about, you know, somebody sat in your pew. I don't care. So, you know, sorry, I'm, I'm, uh, rambling on Matt. So no, sorry. I think that's good. I, I, apo I apologize earlier. I think I called you Tim Mark, but you're Mark Hutton and I apologize about nah, that. You should, his wife calls him different things too. So <laughs> if, Those can't be if I can make another pun here, Mark, Matt threw you under the Shalom bus by telling you, you should run for <laughs> public office. Right. Yeah. I, I I'm actually, I, I love it. I'm glad I did. So, I would do it again. Well, hey, I appreciate all of y'all coming together. I'm, uh, I picked up a, a Spurgeon quote earlier. It says, a vigorous temper is not altogether an evil. Men who are easy as an old shoe are generally of little worth, right? And that's what we're saying here, which is uh, if you feel like you're anger toward, angry towards a righteous, unrighteous evil, right, some sort of evil, then do something about it. You know, consult people in your community. Pray over it. Don't let anger take you over. Find out if there are real injustices out there, and as an ambassador for Christ, go meet it head on. Sometimes that's with words. Sometimes that's with hands. And sometimes that's just with anger. Uh, but let's hope that it's, it's, it's divine anger, right? And let's make a difference. If we're going to have a hum of anger in our country, let it be a hung of anger towards the the sinfulness of, of who we are and what we've become and, and, and really implore people to turn their heads towards Christ, now the only hope that we do have, right? And we all want and, and look for a time where we're going to be together in the new heaven and in the new earth, 
But until then, Tactical Faith is here to help you think through these issues. Uh, Shannon's laughing because this is like a tagline now, right? Uh, we want to be here for you. I mean, we want to be here for our state and for the South. Uh, come to tacticalfaith.com. Uh, we want to do more of these things. I think TF Musings are great. And, of course, I have my own podcast, my individual podcast. We have some content that's being created through written podcasts. Uh, Mark uh, Hutton and Travis have both written, and so has Shannon uh, over the years. So please come on board. And if you're new to us, send us a line. Send us a question, info at tacticalfaith.com. Uh, we're happy to answer any questions you might have, especially for an unbeliever. Uh, what a great time to get into a conversation about all the things that are going on in the world. I'd love to talk to you about uh, my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, guys, for coming on, and we will talk to you all later.